So I'm happy that we have a uh, goodly number of folks staying at the moment here on retreat. Also, this is the first Sunday of the month, so that's uh, the occasion where I uh, pick up the Dhamma quote that we have each month and and uh, hopefully lead us in a shared contemplation of this teaching. And this is a this is a uh, a quote from Ajahn Chah's teachings where he says that this is the way that practice should proceed. First, we need to be upright and honest. Secondly, we need to be wary of wrongdoing. And thirdly, with a heart imbued with humility. So these three aspects of practice that Ajahn Chah is highlighting and this is the way practice should proceed, which is uh, helpful from somebody of his wisdom and ability to highlight these things. Uh, yeah, honesty and wary of wrongdoing and humility. And, and we, when we approach practice, we, I get the impression that a lot of people is the thing is, you know, how difficult is it going to be or, you know, worrying, basically. We worry about practice or what level of attainment have I got and, and, uh, or if you're going to go on retreat, you, you're worrying about, you know, how, what it's going to be like sharing a dormitory with somebody who's snoring. <laughs> I hope that's not happening during this retreat for any of you. Um, but here, um, as one would expect, Ajahn Chah is highlighting these Dhamma qualities and mm, as the foundation, getting the foundation right. And the emphasis on humility uh, on the, the calendar page, many of you would have seen, it's a very nice uh, photograph of Ajahn Bunchu, who's uh, one of the senior monks in our community in Thailand, uh, the abbot of Wat Kuan, a, uh, an abbot, uh, a monastery on a great big, well, Wat Kuan means lake, means dam, actually. And it's a big lake in uh, north east Thailand where he's the abbot and a very uh, lovely, very beautiful person. And Ajahn Chandapalo 
uh, going through the ritual of making an offering and uh, the way that we do in the monastic community of showing respect by asking for forgiveness. This is uh, this is a traditional way of showing respect to somebody is not to give them a box of chocolates but to ask for forgiveness. And you have this traditional tray of candles, incense and flowers and and then go through this recitation in Pali of of asking the teacher for forgiveness. We may have done anything intentionally or unintentionally and and then the teacher responds uh, similarly, of course, I forgive you and please forgive me likewise. And this is uh, a really important part of the training in monastic life and and in spiritual life in general to use these uh, skillful means, in this case these traditional skillful means, for getting in touch with those things that obstruct the heart. You know, we all, those who are on retreat here at the moment, just starting retreat, but you still have another few days, and probably over this period of time we're going to come across a few obstructions. And so we need all the help we can get. And... Uh, the biggest obstruction, of course, is the habit of attaching to this configuration that we call self. This, this attachment to me and mine. Now, um, for those of you that might be worried that we're promoting you know, the idea of pretending we don't have egos and so on, that's not the argument. That's not a wise approach to this practice. And the the Buddhist attitude to, towards the condition of egoity is to understand it, not to get rid of it. Any idealistic notions that there's something wrong with e having an ego is misplaced. What is unfortunate and what causes suffering is a wrong relationship to the ego. The, the sense of self is a conventional uh, habit of mental activity. And it's got its place. It's, it's got its function. But because we don't really understand it, we don't really see it in its true light, we don't know it for what it actually is, we ascribe too much value to it. And so this thing becomes the this inflated actor that always wants to be center stage. And so our training is to use whatever skillful means there are to get to see clearly. Like, as I've said often before, the, the, a rainbow looks like a beautiful thing. It looks like a substantial thing. And if you're really uneducated, you know, you might go running after it, thinking there's a pot of gold at the base once you get to the rainbow. But once you get even a little bit educated, you realize, well, no, actually, it's an apparent reality. It's an optical illusion. And uh, so we get educated with the with regards to the outer world uh, around things like rainbows or mirage. A mirage is something that looks like water. You know, you're running across a desert looking for water, and you really think, well, that's water. Well, maybe it's a mirage. So we get educated, and so once we're educated, it changes our relationship to apparent reality. And so this is a big part of our task is this apparent reality of a solid, substantial me and mine and you and yours 
around which so much struggle takes place is a task. This is something we really, we really need to be looking into. And so cultivation of humility um, is a really big part of that, uh, an essential part of that. Uh, honesty, uprightness and honesty. And I'm sure as you started the retreat yesterday, Ajahn Abhinanda would have led you all through taking the basic precepts and, and <coughs> we, we all know that, that uh, telling lies, uh, compromising integrity, it basically it punches holes in our sense of self-respect. We can't trust ourselves if we know we're deceitful, just the same as if we know somebody else is deceitful. We don't feel so good being around them. We don't feel we can't trust them. We can't relax. So we get to see honesty, integrity uh, is really very important. But on the outer level, not telling lies to others, but also as we get more subtle, and again, in a weak retreat like this, uh, I'm sure you'll get to recognize how, how important it is to be able to be honest with ourselves. Because, you know, once we're, when we're little children, we get told all these stories about reality. Uh, you know, I mean, Santa Claus, that's just the beginning. You know, that's perhaps not such a bad one, but, you know, the idea that mummy and daddy are going to be here forever to look after you, well, it's a functional story. It's important for children to think that mummy and daddy are going to be there to look after the child, but a lot of the stories that we get told when we're children, we don't realize the stories, and we grow up ending up believing in stories until by the time we're seven years old, we're telling ourselves stories and believing them. And from then on, things just get worse. And so once we start discovering, a lot of these stories we've told ourselves are, are really obstructing something precious, something important. We, oh, actually, now I've got a job here. I've got to stop telling myself stories. What's the, what's the reality? What is the truth of greed? What is the truth of anger? You know, so often we... Maybe we hear it in other people before we hear it in ourselves, but people pretending that they're not angry, they're telling stories about being not angry, and I'm not really angry, and <laughs> when they are obviously very angry, and and maybe we ourselves then discover, I'm not angry, when in fact we are really angry. We just have habits of telling ourselves lies. So what about the, uh, the big lie, the mega lie, that I'm not going to die? I mean, that's a super lie. That's... That's a really dangerous one. We, and then when we die, we, or we're about to die, we, we freak out. Something, something's gone wrong, or somebody else dies, and it shouldn't it be this way? This is a disaster. When, of course, it's absolutely guaranteed. On the gross outer level, it's not telling lies, but as we get more and more refined, we see that also it works on the inner level, and it helps us to stop telling stories to ourselves about who and what we are. You know, like the ultimate story is this this self, this obstruction, this me and mine, is ultimate. I mean that's the that's the most serious story that we tell ourselves. So all of these things when Ajahn Chah is pointing out, honesty, uprightness, being wary of of wrongdoing and cultivating humility these are not just uh, suggestions that make us socially acceptable, nice people. 
uh, it's much more profound than that. These, these are, are virtues that, that go very, very deep. So today also, um, as, as many of you will know, is, uh, in, on planet Earth, is a, a big day. It's the 3rd of August, which many of you will remember is it's a hundred years ago today that one of the craziest things that ever happened started when France and Germany went to war. Um, and however many years it went on for and the consequences of that, how far reaching that is and the utter insanity of that behavior. And then you think, well, in a hundred years, maybe we would have learnt a little bit since then. But um, I think probably most of us anyway would be aware of the uh, predicament, the global predicament, and the intensity of the predicament that we have at the moment with what's going on in the Middle East, and Israel, and Gaza, and... Ukraine and Syria and there's many other places on the planet where we see this extraordinarily crazy behavior. It's the way people are hurting each other and it's, it's so unhelpful. I mean, what, what, you know, what good can come, what possible good can come from intentionally killing and hurting each other? And, and so, you know, even in a hundred years' experience of of humanity on planet Earth, we still haven't learnt. So, what can we do about it? And uh, well, I, I think what, uh, what 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 we're all doing here is a significant contribution. Uh, not everybody's going to see this. Uh, if you look at the outer form, you look at the outer level, just. Uh, and a bunch of people sitting on their cushion with their eyes closed for a week and not even talking to each other, not even trying to sort out the problems. What good's that going to do? Well, what we're doing is addressing what um, those of us that are, have an intuition of the spiritual dimension of life, right? what we're doing is cultivating that which can be cultivated inwardly, or cultivating consciousness. Yeah. There's not a shortage of food in the planet. Although there's still millions of people starving, uh, I think I read recently, if I remember the second, I'm pretty sure that there are more people now suffering from obesity-related diseases than there are people who are hungry. The, The poor distribution of food, the poor distribution of resources, food, clothing. I mean, everybody could have a full wardrobe of fancy clothes, shelter, medicine, everybody on the planet could have more than enough of food, clothing, shelter, medicine, but a lot of people don't. Some people, a small minority, have far too much. Why? What is all this? Where does this come from? Well, it's, uh, again, those of us that have an inclination towards the spiritual journey would say that it's a lack of wisdom. It's wisdom that's lacking. It's not resources, not material resources. But we've all known this. I mean, you know, the the Buddha was around over 2,500 years ago and he delivered these teachings that are yet to be proven wrong. A lot of people probably tried and nobody's even vaguely managed. 
to prove the Buddha wrong, and lots of wise beings since then, and yet the majority of the planet still doesn't get it. And and why is that? Well, it's um, I mean the Buddha was he didn't pull his punches. He he said it's an exceedingly difficult thing to do. You know, wisdom is not even easy. Overcoming the delusion of selfhood, the delusion of of uh, attachment to this experience of me and mine, coming to terms with it, he said. He gave the image of. He said it's. He said, uh, you know, conquering a thousand times a thousand men in battle on your own is easier than dealing with this struggle, this me and mine delusion. So it's not an easy thing, but that there are people who want to do it, uh, I personally feel are very inspired by, tremendously inspired by that. When people put time aside and give effort in a retreat situation like this or in daily life practice, and people get in touch with me with questions about their daily life practice, I, I find that really inspiring. And when people approach me with criticism and arguments about why we don't do something to save the planet. I'm you know, getting all angry and huffy about it. I don't find that very inspiring because you know, in my experience, my observation, is getting angry doesn't help. We can, we feel tempted, we can feel tempted towards righteous indignation. How dare they do that? Of course we can feel tempted. But if we get lost in that, if we get lost in righteous indignation, what does it do? You know, I remember being very um, well, inspired, pleased, to to uh, hear or read, I forget now, a, uh, an interview with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And some brazen reporter was trying to tease him into getting upset and and, uh, and kind of poking him about, well, don't you feel angry about what the Chinese did to your people? And, and the Dalai Lama replied, he said, I can't afford to get angry. Said, if I get angry, I lose intelligence. And then how am I going to solve the problem? Yeah. Now, that's wisdom. Now, the apparent, the apparent reality of anger is, I just want to hurt them. I just want to get back, I just want to do something you know? I've got my rights you know? the apparent reality of greed is yeah, I want more of that you know, I want more of that I mean, uh, more food more gadgets, more whatever that's the apparent reality to see beyond the apparent reality to see what well, in Buddhist language we have, to see beyond the world like when we do the chantings, the Buddha's loka we do Somebody, the Buddha, sees beyond the world, sees through, the Buddha sees through the world. Loka is the world, the world, the apparent reality. The way that when the heart is, is distorted with the three poisons, greed, aversion and delusion, then we don't see clearly. And so, this is our inner work. This is our inner work and it's not easy work. In fact, it's pretty pretty humbling. Okay. Those of you, again, that are on retreat over the next few days will probably experience the, the wandering mind. Yeah. The intention is to, is to gather our mental energy together, develop the sense of collectedness, of containment, of intensity, of clarity, 
and you, what's the mind doing? It's all over the place. Thinking about old movies we watched, or, or food we're going to eat, or holidays we're going to go on, or how long is this lovely summer weather going to last, and how wonderful Northumberland is, and how lovely these people are, and what nice fragrant incense they have in this monastery, how inspiring Ajanabhinanda is, and all this. Well, all of those things are true, but when the mind is just wandering around following all this stuff, that's not really what we're here for, is it? We want to invest here. We want to say, you know, what's, what's the reality? Why? Why do human beings get fooled? Why do I get fooled over and over and over again? Why do I do things that cause suffering for myself and others? Why do I do it? I'm not completely stupid. You know, so why do I keep behaving like this and, and saying things? You know, we, we say things that we regret. Why do we do it? Well, the Buddha called it awija, not knowing. Awija, the ignorance, the, the habit of ignoring reality. Ignorance, the habit of ignoring what's in front of us. We don't see what's here. We don't see the reality, the actuality. We project stories onto things. And so, say, right, we have an intuition about this and that there's this habit, habitual tendency of always projecting and creating stories, telling ourselves and telling, telling others and creating this world that we live in, this big bubble that we live, of self-importance that we live in. And we want to, we want to learn something new. We want a new perspective on reality. Well, we've got to have energy. And so, Collecting our energy is the name of the game. That's why we're not talking well, during this week. That's why nobody's talking. So we, we don't need to talk. Everything's organized. Dajjan Abhinanda can do all the talking. So nobody else needs to talk for the next week. We can save all our talking energy and gather it in, and, and that can help us in our deepening and in our investigation. But, again, as I was saying, the tendency is for the mind to get lost in old habits and wander. And, when we see our limitation, really what we want to do is to feel good about it. Yeah? When you're feeling humbled by your limited ability, not you, us, me, we, when any of us, when any of us are feeling humbled by our limited ability, what you want to do is put your hands together quickly and say, I'm so pleased to see that. Because I've been telling lies to myself about it for goodness knows how long, how many years, how many lifetimes I've been lying to myself about how great I am. And I'm not great at all. I mean, there have been some great people on the planet, but I'm not one of them. Yeah, I try reasonably hard, but I'm not great. And yet we tell ourselves stories about how wonderful we are, or maybe we tell ourselves stories about how hopeless we are. And that's another limitation that we can come across. We see just endlessly going on about what a failure we are, how nobody loves me. Nobody ever did love me, don't love me now, and never will love me because I'm basically unlovable. I've been told that all my whole life, and it's true. Well, if we see that, wonderful, that's so good to see. Because that which sees it doesn't believe it. If you're seeing it, it means you're not it. If you have the thought about how great you are or, or how rubbish you are, that which sees it is not it. And that helps with the cultivation of humility, to acknowledge our limitations, to be able to, to feel good when we come across our limitations. You know, I can remember there was a stage in my practice when 
when I, I recognized actually it felt quite, it felt quite, and not wonderful to tell everybody, you know, about my faults, but, but it felt quite good to be able to let people see my faults. Because it's more honest. It feels good to be more honest. And it takes a lot of energy to cover up our faults. And if we're covering up our faults all the time, if we're covering up our limitations all the time, it's very difficult to learn. You know, we only learn from seeing our mistakes, from encountering our limitations, saying, all right, that's a limitation, that's anger. I just, that was anger, or that was dishonesty, or that was heedlessness. And to be able to honestly see it and own it, you know, this is one of the problems with an initial interpretation of the Buddha's teachings. People grasp this idea of anatta, and they t instead of hanging on to me and mine, they then hang on to there's no me and no mine. Well, that is not what the Buddha taught. Hanging on to the idea there's no me and no mine will get you into big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not hanging on to the idea there's no me and that, there's, and that I don't have any anger and I'm not greedy. Yeah. Rather, when there's anger, we say, that's anger and that's mine. I am 100% responsible for that anger and feel how that feels. Yeah, it feels honest. It feels good because we're not lying to ourselves. So, so uh, this uh, re recollection, reflection on humility, it's not something, of course, that you can imitate. Um, you know, kind of synthetic humility is pretty unattractive, of course. That's not something, that's not what we're talking about. But it is something that the Buddha did highlight. I was surprised recently when somebody, uh, somebody who considers himself a committed Buddhist, actually told me that, told me straight, blunt, said, oh, the Buddha didn't teach, uh, humility. And, uh, well, that's, <laughs> got the wrong end of the stick there. The Buddha did teach humility. One of the most famous discourses that we recite together, the Mahamangala Sutta. And there, the Buddha says, Garawo Chaniwato. You know, respect and humility. Yeah. Not, not, you know, how much you get, but how able we are to express it. How able are we to express respect? To feel respect and to express it. To feel humility and to express it. And in fact, I think it's, uh, I would say that it's a good barometer for practice. The, the more liberated somebody becomes, then the more likely they are, the more able they would be to feel and express respect, the more able they are and likely they are to feel and express humility. There was a, um, a time when I was living in Thailand, uh, my very early years as a monk there, and I was visiting Wat Babantat, Ajahn Mahabur's monastery near Udon, Northeast Thailand, and and uh, it was the first time I visited there, and I'd heard a lot about uh, Lungta Mahabua. He's very famous and highly, highly regarded, and nobody questioned his his attainments. and And he had a reputation for being really ferocious, you know, a ferocious and enlightened master, kind of the real the real thing, and and nobody messed with him. And really scary guy. That's what I'd heard, and and look quite likely to chew your head off if you did the slightest thing wrong. And so there I was, uh, early in the morning before Bindabhat, before arms round. I was 
waiting in the sala. I would polish the floor and the wooden floor in the, in the, in the hall there. And, and I was standing with the other monks waiting for the great master to come in and a bit in, <laughs> intimidated, waiting for a long dart to come in and, and wondering what's going to happen and snap some orders at somebody rather for doing something wrong. And anyway, when he comes into the sala, <laughs> into the, the, the meeting hall there, the first thing he does is go over in front of the shrine and bow. The most beautiful, gentle, sincere bow three times to the shrine. And I was so touched. I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. My vision of a master is, <laughs> was something rigid and <laughs> listen to me. And, you know, we can imagine where that was coming from in my mind. Yeah. But a master is somebody who knows how to bow. In fact, even the Buddha, you read the scriptures, and the Buddha himself reflected after his enlightenment uh, the appropriateness of showing respect. And the most appropriate thing to do is to show respect. But when he looked around, he couldn't find anybody on the planet more worthy of respect than himself. There wasn't anybody. And... So after some consideration, well, I would respect the Dhamma, a conscious decision that the Buddha made. And this is, this is, these are the kind of the greatest human beings that have ever lived, you know, who are cultivating, consciously cultivating humility. So certainly it's something that we want to put some time into thinking about. And when I say put some time into thinking about, I, I'm not saying idealizing about how, how terrible it is that we're so conceited and arrogant and rigid and and uptight and and definitely not humble you know that approach isn't going to help but rather when we as i said before when we encounter our limitations to be there for it to really be there for it and no judgment judging is the easiest thing to do you know taking sides for and against that's that's what the deluded ego does. Well, even the enlightened ego could do that, but it's going to do it without any attachment. In our case, the deluded ego taking sides for and against. I'm right, I'm wrong, I'm good, I'm bad, they're right, they're wrong, they're good, they're bad, I like them, I don't like them. Taking sides is the easiest thing to do. To go for refuge, to awareness, to, to fall back into awareness and to not take sides, but to simply see, that's how it works. To simply see that movement, that tendency, that activity that we previously identified as, that activity of mind that we've previously been caught up in, to experience our limitation without judgment is the beginning of letting go. That's what I would suggest is one aspect of being able to cultivate humility, to be able to see limitation as and when it arises and no judgment, just to feel it, and, and even if we can, to welcome it, because that'll help us receive it more quickly next time. Not to indulge in it, of course, that's not what we're talking about, but to receive it. And In formal practice, when we're on retreat and the, the stubborn monkey mind of ours is all over the place, getting up to all sorts of stuff, yeah. Just see it, just study it, learn it, learn from it, to learn from it.
if we're really lost in our arrogance and conceit, then we don't learn. It's, humility is there to help us get the message. And, as I say, it's not easy. Even, you know, especially sitting in silence and walking in silence like a good number of you are going to be doing for the next week. But also in daily life, when you come across it. How quickly can we catch ourselves and remember what the task is, what the work is? It's, it's unpleasant, it's not easy. I mean, I can, again, my early years as a monk, when I was living at Chithurst, I, there was an incident where I think this, uh, this fellow was an Anagarika, a postulant in the monastery, and he was skilled in carpentry, very skilled carpenter. And I wasn't, but I wanted to use this powerful, dangerous power tool in the workshop. And so I asked him to show me how to use it in a safe way. Sensible, right? You know, asked this young fellow, could you show me how to use this power tool? It was a planer, you know, that um, planing equipment, and you can very easily take the top of your thumb off or even take your whole thumb off if you're not careful uh, using this, this machine. And so I asked him to show me how to do it. But, you know, this thing happened that as soon as he started to show me to, what to do, he said, well, just stand with this. No, don't do that. Just, as soon as he started telling me what to do, I suddenly got all hot and bothered. I said, how dare you tell me what to do? I'm a senior monk, and you're just an anagarika. Yes. <laughs> well, that's embarrassing, isn't it? That's humiliating. I mean, how, how, how utterly foolish. And yet that's what was happening. Yeah. And that's what we have to deal with, the heat. We're not just talking about a concept. The, the heat that comes up, the indignation. How dare you talk to me like that? Oh, right. Yeah, there I was identified with a role. I was rigid in my role as a senior monk. I wasn't even that senior, actually, but a bit senior than him, enough to get huffy. Yeah. yeah, I was identified, clinging to, creating this limitation that was obstructing even common sense in that case, not something particularly profound. Huh? So when we come across it, to see how quickly we can acknowledge it you know, for what it is. And that's the beginning of letting go. So the retreat that some of you have ahead of you, uh, it's a very fortunate circumstance that we have being here together in this lovely place and lovely weather and good friends and although um, possibly, uh, inevitably I would expect, probably for some of you, you're not going to be dwelling in bliss for the whole week, uh, don't make the mistake of perceiving that as something going wrong. You know, this is this inner work is important. This it's it's because we don't do this inner work that the world is the way it is. You know, I, I, I firmly believe that. I you know it's not as I said, it's not a lack of food, clothing, shelter, medicine. There's more than enough for everybody and the whole planet for years to come probably. But the thing that is lacking is wisdom. And why the te wisdom teachings have been given to us? Why can't we realize this wisdom? Well, because there are obstructions. How do we see through these obstructions? Well, we get supple. We get supple. That's what humility is. It means getting supple. 
And when we bow, we get gentle when we bow. It also takes daring. It's not, as we're saying, it's not easy. It's another Dhammapada verse, 85, where the Buddha said, Few are those who reach the further shore. Most pace backwards and forwards, not daring to take the journey. Few are those who reach the further shore. That is a place of non-attachment, clear seeing. And few of those reach the further shore. Most merely pace backwards and forwards, up and down, not daring to take the journey. It is daring, because what we're talking about is discovering something new. And we're not talking about just rearranging the furniture, we're not talking about politics. You know, it's extraordinary. After all these years of, of human civilization, all the problems that we have, the only tools people use are politics. You know, politics, which is like, Trying to solve these problems with politics is like doing surgery with dirty equipment. If the heart is still polluted with greed, aversion and delusion, it doesn't matter what politics we use, it's not going to work. We need to to go deeper, need to go back and recognize greed, aversion and delusion for what they actually are. And this, as we all know, does take humility. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Tangamayangamavadakatasadukarangamasi Sangamayangamavadakatasadukarangamasi